Bonjour, and welcome to the I Want to Know podcast. I'm Josh Spector, and I am your host. If you don't know who I am, I'm the creator of the For the Interested newsletter, which you can check out at fortheinterested.com. If you're new here, this podcast exists for a simple reason, to help creative entrepreneurs get their questions answered. Here's how it works. In each episode, a different guest comes on and asks me three questions. Then we have a 10-minute conversation about each of them, and that's it. No fluff, lots of actionable tips that you can put to use. Just a quick heads up before we start, if you like my podcast, you will absolutely love my skill sessions. That's all I'm going to say. Go to joshspector.com slash sessions and check them out and you will see for yourself what they are and why I know you will love them. Today, and the reason I started with Bonjour, my guest is Anbi Anot, who is joining us from Belgium. An is the creator of the Storylific podcast, a 100% outdoor French podcast with adventurers, explorers, and outdoor athletes. After a dry corporate career, a blessed midlife crisis made her think about what really matters and she dusted her old dream of perpetrating interviews. It does not stop there since she plants trees, quote, with her audience's ears to make the project 200% outdoor. It's now two years since Storylific was launched. She's lucky to quickly reach high-level guests and has planted 500-plus trees already, which is pretty cool. She's now eager to bring the project to the next level, and that is what we're going to talk about today. You can find her at Storylific on most social media platforms and at storylific.com. So with that in mind, hey, An, welcome to the show. Thanks for doing this. Bonjour, Josh Pecto, as we would say. Oh, see, look, she's already, she's already got me beat. She's already made my opening bonjour sound terrible. <laughs> no, not at all. Lovely. Your English accents in French always sound so lovely. Cool. Well, I'm really excited to talk to you. I know you've got some good questions for me, and plus you're going to say them with a lovely accent. So let's get right into it. What is the first thing you want to know? The first thing I would like to know is how would I have a clear and sexy message to pitch my show? Because I try to attract people who are not really into ecology, but I try to bring them there to the first step. Actually, I'm interviewing those outdoor high profiles to, to, to get a public to think about outdoor more because people don't go outside much anymore. And so they, they don't realize the big problems environment is facing. And I don't want to preach. I just want to say, mm -hmm. look, at there. look out there. It's, it's fantastic. It's great. Let, let's keep it that way. So for people that haven't checked out the show, tell me a little bit about like the, some of the guests you have and what a typical episode is like. World champion up in free diving, some adventurers like, well, the French Mike Horns. <laughs> I want to mm -hmm. work with Mike Horns soon, but not right now yet. People go to the South Pole on their own with just nothing, just a a stick in one pocket and a knife in the other, or that kind right. of stuff. And really, we can bring some dreams to life. And in a typical episode, you're interviewing them and they're telling their story of their yeah. adventures and things that they have that they have done. Cool. So let's start with, it's interesting because the, the question being like, how do I have a clear and sexy message to pitch my show? How do you currently pitch it? So like if you, if you forget, forget even me, if there's someone out there who's listening to this and you are like, here's why you should listen to my show. What is that sort of one or two sentence pitch? Not just what it's about, but why they should listen. Okay. Well, dear listeners, I think you really should check out Storylific because if you like to have some breath of fresh air in your week, in your stressful week, then listen to adventurers. People really live their best life in sports, in the outdoor, and widen your horizon. So let me give you a couple thoughts. I'm going to start with sort of general thoughts about how to pitch. And this is true for podcasts, but I actually think it's true for almost anything that you do, right? 
So there's a couple key things that you want to sort of hone in on. So one is you always want to think like, what is unique? And you see people all the time to default. And I forget the exact phrase you use, but like, oh, if you want a breath of fresh air in your life, that could be a million different shows. And one of, there's an exercise I was just telling someone about recently for newsletters that I think is actually worth doing for podcasts too, is that you go look at other shows in your niche and go look at like their descriptions on the podcast page. And how many of those descriptions could also describe your show? Or look at your description and go, how many other shows would fit your description? So when you start using sort of general terms like breath of fresh air, you see this all the time in a totally different niche. You'll see people go, I interview business leaders. I interview marketing experts. Well, so do a million other things. So when you talk about a clear and sexy pitch, part of what you're trying to get at and by the way, this is much easier said than done. It is complicated. So like anyone, you and anyone that's listening to this, like I get that this is not easy, but trying to figure out how can I describe my creation in a way that is different than everything else that's out there? What is very different is when I say I plant trees with your ears and it's different, but it doesn't mm -hmm. say that the show is not about ecology. So I say, yes, it's really different. It, it really rings. It, it's right. People tell me, oh, yes, you're the one planting trees with the ears. But it doesn't say that it will be about adventurers, explorers. So it, it's right. With so what? So so you're right. That is definitely a point of differentiation. But it is a sidelight. It's not the. It's a sort of added benefit, but not necessarily a specific reason to listen. So one of the ways to hone in on what's unique is to think about it in comparison to what else is out there. So you could think about your guests. And think about like, in your case, like they're adventurers, they've done these amazing things. They actually are very unique people that things that they have done, almost no one else has done. In many cases, I assume literally no one else has done individually. Right. And they have amazing, crazy stories, I'm sure, and all of that. So playing that up and almost comparing yourself to other shows, you don't need another, I'm just going to riff some examples here, right? You already listen to a bunch of, of, not you, but I'm just riffing here. You already listen to a bunch of podcasts with people talking about what they do sitting at their desk all day. When was the last time you listened to a podcast with somebody talking about what they do at 50,000 feet in the air, 20,000 feet in the air? You see, I'm trying to separate and going, I'm talking to people that are doing things like no one that you've ever encountered. They have stories that are not going to be like any of the stories you've heard anywhere else. That's one way to differentiate. Another way to differentiate is to actually lean into the ecology, like you said, like, oh, I'm not trying to preach, to lean into the ecology angle, but do it in a different way. Who says caring about the environment has to be boring? Just because you want to improve the environment or you're excited by nature and the outdoors doesn't mean you have to listen to 40 minutes of somebody telling you to recycle. Maybe listen to, to these people who are actually living the outdoors. You see how I'm trying to create that sort of separation and play up the thing that's unique? That's what you want to lean into. And it doesn't have to be any one of those. There's lots of different ways to go. But when you start thinking through that mindset and thinking about how you want to describe it, the difference between that and it's a breath of fresh air or any other podcast out there that's like, it's interesting, or we have great conversations or we have whatever. The other thing you can do is you can separate yourself in terms of audience. It's one thing to try to appeal to people who like nature. It's another to appeal to people who love nature, making this up. It's one thing to uh, try to appeal to people who appreciate nature. It's another to appeal to people that are challenging nature. 
that are battling nature, that are overcoming nature, that are, you can take your pick and go wherever you want. With anything, you're trying to draw a line in the sand and say, you really, your show should never be for everyone. It should be for someone. And you can't do that without drawing a line in the sand. And that doesn't mean that it has to be combative or controversial. You can go, this is the show for people who want to do more in nature than take a walk in the park. And you're sort of actively going like, this isn't that. This is the show for, and again, I'm, I'm going in different directions here, but just to give you an idea of all the possibilities. Just because you're stuck riding the bus or the train or in your car in your morning commute, you know, what if you, what if you have an adventurer join you for your morning commute? Because your audience, your, your target audience, your people, they hate that they're stuck going to a nine to five. So your show gives them a, an escape to go, yeah, I'm in my car sitting in traffic, but in my mind, I'm in the Amazon. So you want to lean into that. But the, the, the problem, the challenge that a lot of people fall into is they're hesitant to turn people away. And so they wind up with a very vanilla bland. Like even in the beginning, you were like, oh, but we're not preaching. You don't have to be like a hardcore ecology, like whatever, which is good. You don't have to be preachy. But the truth is your show is for people that are adventurers or want to be adventurers. Really, yeah. that's the ideal audience. You'll get some other people. And there is an aspirational element, but the people that are really going to connect with it, the ones that are going to become your, your most passionate fans are those people that either do those things or wish they could do those things or want to identify with those things. They're frustrated with the sort of mundane whatever. This is a, this is a totally different example, but if you think about it, and I'm not a surfer, but if you think about like surfing culture, that whole like, I'd rather be surfing, whatever they're doing, they'd rather be surfing. They'd rather be in the ocean. Hi to Katie, your friend. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think for you, for your show and your audience, I think they'd rather be adventuring. And your show gives them a way to do that even when they can't do it or be out there or whatever. Does that all make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. Once you have that clarity and understand who you're trying to talk to, it's much easier to come up with, again, whatever the copy or whatever the sort of messaging is. But I think it's important to lean into that specific niche and not worry about like, okay, this isn't for everyone. That's fine. I don't need it. And the most rabid fan bases are things that are not for everyone, but they're perfect for someone. And I think that's the, that's the way to think about it. The other thing I would say is I'll give you a quick exercise here that you can think about or anyone can think about. You don't have to use this exact language, but I think it's a helpful sort of brainstorming exercise. Two different ways. So one is if you had to describe your show using two existing things that people know, doesn't have to be other shows, but it can be. And you're going to complete this sentence. So this is kind of a Hollywood trick. Like you see this with movies all, all the time, right? So like, I don't know if you remember like the movie Speed with Keanu Reeves, like forever ago. The, pit, the pitch for Speed was basically it's Die Hard on a bus. So in a sense, you're like, oh, okay, like I get it. So one way to do this is to cross. So you could go, my podcast is a cross between X and X. I'm making this up, but I'm trying to think of a good, this is, this is far from perfect, but like just off the top of my head, your podcast is a cross between how I built this and the X games. I don't know if you know the, how I built this podcast, but it's these extreme and you're not really doing extreme athletes. It'd be more an adventurer thing, but like, or it's a, it's a cross between how I built this and Indiana Jones. Again, not a good, not, not a great example, but you see what I'm doing, right? When you say that you're like to someone casual, you give them those reference points and they're like, oh, I get it. 
if you reference two things that they know, that combination, suddenly they have a very clear picture of what the show is. And again, you can use that language or not, but it's a good sort of shorthand to connect with people. The other way to do it is, so it's either a cross between X and X or X and Y, or it's X for Y. For my podcast, I'm going to use how I built this again. You want to pick things that sort of people know, but most podcast listeners at least know of what, how I built this is or whatever, right? So I could say that my podcast is how I built this for people who haven't built it yet. Now you at least get, oh, I get, okay, they're going to tell the stories about what they're building. And, and I, again, not a perfect thing because my show is different than, but that those trying to fill out those two sentences, and it's a good brainstorming because you can come up with a bunch of options for each and it'll help you clarify how you even think about like what the show is by using references that people understand. And whether you actually use it in your show description or you just use it anecdotally when you talk to people, you will find that they instantly get it. It's rooted in things that they understand. And it forces you to really think about like, well, what does this make this unique? This for this or cross between this and this. Hopefully you're on your way to clear and sexy messaging for Story Life Hack. Well, Gavin, problem to get at the end of the show because I have the urge to close my PC and start working. Okay. Hey. Just the firework now. Good. You're, you're on your way. So let's get to your second question. What's the next thing you want to know? The next thing I want to know is Patreon is not working very well for me right now. I don't know if answers are a solution or what I could offer in return to my Patreons. Maybe that's the problem too, or, or to, to sponsors. I think I have to play off two things because there's no culture of tipping much in other people's mm -hmm. in Belgium. And so I know some shows that do it in, in English and in French, all their money at Patreon comes from the, the English speaking public more mm -hmm. tipping. And so I don't know how can really, what could be interesting enough to, to, to get on my Patreon or as a sponsor, sure. what could, well, could offer. So a few different thoughts here. So the first one is, it's funny because I'm going to give a bunch of advice about Patreon and, and sort of donation models and that kind of thing, even though I don't, I'm not a huge fan of them in general, because even in the United States or every, every, everywhere, like. I think the root of that is you're essentially asking people to do you a favor. You appreciate this thing I'm doing and so support me. And there are people that will do that, but I much prefer a model where you're selling, you're, you're providing some value to them. There's a more direct exchange that whatever they're paying, they're getting something that's more valuable back in return. And yes, I know that there's some semantics there and the idea is they're supporting you. So you keep making the show and that's valuable and, and that's, that's all great. But the truth of the matter is, there's a small percentage of people that are going to do that. And even the ones that do do that, if money gets tough for them or whatever, that's going to be the first thing to go. And I also think in some ways it devalues your own creative effort. Yes. And you wind up begging for favorite. Like, I'm just not, I'm not a fan of it in general. I think that when it comes to monetization, the first key question is, do you want to sell to your audience? Or do you want to sell your audience to someone else? And it can be both, but that's the, that's a really key sort of business model question because, and I'm not even talking about what it is that you sell. There's different things you could sell either way, but understanding in your own mind, I am building an audience that I'm going to monetize by selling to someone else, which is typically a sponsorship and advertising as something, or I'm going to come up with some sort of product something that I'm going to sell, my audience is going to directly monetize this. When you're doing Patreon, you're selling directly to the audience. When you're doing sponsorships, you're selling your audience to, to someone else. 
And again, you can do both, but I think it's really helpful in the beginning to set a priority for yourself of like, this is what I want to try to do. The other thing is when you go down this road, that decision shifts all sorts of things in terms of what matters. So if you're going to do a sponsorship model and you're going to sell your audience, depending what you're doing, that means you're going to sell very specific people to a very specific advertiser. So it might mean more niche. It might mean more scale depending who you're going to sell to and what you're going to do. If you're going to sell to your audience, you might need, not need as big an audience, but you need a product that they're going to find valuable. So it really depends and there's no, there's no right or wrong way to do it. But I think being deliberate and strategic and going, I'm going to try to go this way because it does impact all the other choices that you make. Let's just say, and by the way, I did an episode about this, which we'll link in the show notes, where I gave someone a bunch of ideas about how to monetize their podcast without sponsors. His podcast was all about, I forget the name of the podcast, but it was all about like telling stories from the old West. And so one of the things that we, that I had talked about with him was, well, let's just use that as an example, or I'll, I'll make it, I'll, I'll adapt it for you, right? Let's say you have this audience of adventurers. Now, if you decided you want to sell to sponsors, who's going to want to reach those adventurers? Maybe it's adventure travel companies. Maybe it's those, those, like, just use that as an example. If I'm an adventure travel company, I don't want the sort of general, I want the adventurer types that actually go do these things. That's the narrowing of the niche in your messaging. It's not like, I don't want to bring in like anyone that's interested in the outdoors. I want people that are actually adventurers. So that's an example of like that decision to sell to that type of sponsor shrinks the niche, but it's super valuable. Because if I have an adventure travel company and you can get me 500 people that regularly once a year book adventure travel, that's really valuable to me. Because even if one or two of them hear my ad and book my thing, I'm going to get my money back, no matter what you're charging, because that's a sort of high ticket item. If you were to go the other direction, and let's say you went after, I'm making this up, let's say you got a sponsor who was a nonprofit tied to planting trees. And what they're looking for is they're looking for a bunch of donors who are going to give them $10, $15, whatever. They want more scale. They want more broad. They're like, I don't really care about the sort of adventurer person. I'd rather have a huge audience of people who care about trees and nature. So you can see how depending on which route you want to go, sponsor-wise, is going to impact the show and the audience and who you want to attract. My advice in general of those, just using those two as examples is I would way more likely go the adventure route. You need fewer people. It's way more valuable, higher end sponsor, much better path for you and, and all of it, right? And, and more unique. If you flip it around and you go, okay, I'm not going to do the sponsor thing. I'm going to sell directly to people. You go through the same sort of thing. I'm going to do the same comparison. In, the, in one case, you might go, all right, if I'm going to sell directly to the audience, what I'm going to monetize is I'm going to have a retreat, an adventure retreat that I'm going to put together and I'm going to try to get 10 people from my audience to come with me and we're all going to go do this adventurous thing. And my goal is doesn't matter how many people I have, I'm just trying to get 10 people a year every six months to sign up for this retreat package thing that I've done. I want adventurers. I want people who are going to do this kind of thing. Let's say that the retreat is whitewater rafting. Maybe you're going to record some episodes with whitewater rafters. That's going to people that are going to listen to that and be like, oh my God, I, that sounds amazing. I'd love to, I'd love to do that. But you're focused on selling that package to that audience. That's the sort of narrow specific adventurer version selling direct to your audience. The other way to go would be the broad version, 
which is maybe you come up with a product, a course, a video, or something. It's, you know, how to, how to get 100 trees planted in your community. I'm making this up. You sell it for $50. Now you want more people because it's a lower price item. You don't need adventurers. You want people that are generally more interested in trees and nature and all of that stuff. And that's your monetization plan. You want them to ultimately buy that $50 thing. And maybe you do an episode where you talk about how make, how planting trees can be a tip. Like you cater your content, not every episode, but you cater your content a little to whatever monetization route you're going to go. Coaching, adventure mentality. Yep. Well, what we can learn from adventurers. But yeah. It's raining coaches. So I don't know if it's still interesting or not. But again, it gets to the more you understand your audience and the more specific you get and the more you draw that line in the sand and go on for these people, the easier it is to find your lane to sell the thing that you want. And also to have conversations with your audience and figure out what do they want to know. Any of those methods can be successful. There's no one right way to do this. It's thinking about and figuring out which do, which am I excited about doing in order to succeed with any of those methods, who do I need to attract? And this is the big part. If you're going to, well, both ways, actually, what is the value to the person that's paying the money? If you're selling directly to your audience, what are you going to give them that's more valuable than the money they give me? I say, I've said this before, but like, it's a complete oversimplification. But the truth is, if you were like anyone who pays me a hundred, I'm just going to use money. It doesn't have to be money, but I'm using this as an example. If you said anyone who pays me a hundred dollars, I'm going to give you $200 back. It's not going to be hard to make sales because clearly they want the value of what they're getting is more than the value of what they're getting. So if you're going to coach or have a course or whatever, about how to get trees planted in your community. It doesn't have to be a financial value, but whatever you're selling that for, they have to go, what I'm getting is worth more than that. If she can tell me in an hour how to get 100 trees planted in my community, that's worth way more than the $50 or $100 I'm gonna pay for it or whatever. That's the, that's the assessment. And it's also true on the sponsor side, right? The sponsor side in most case, in 90% of cases, it's a financial transaction. So that sponsor is going, if I'm an adventure travel company and I know that someone booking with me is going to get me $5,000 and I pay you $1,000 for an ad, it doesn't matter how big your audience is. What matters is if one person in your audience buys my $5,000 package and I gave you $1,000, it was worth it. So people think with sponsorship, you need this huge audience, but that's not true. You need a specific audience and it really depends on what the sponsor is selling and the value of that. Because in that same example, if instead of selling a $5,000 travel package, they're selling a $20 book and they give you $1,000, one buyer is not going to cut it. So that's the key. But I think you have an opportunity because you're in a, if you go down the sort of adventurer and lean into that route, I think there's a, there's a lot of companies selling high-end products there, gear, travel. So for them, they don't need a ton of sales to justify whatever they're going to pay you. So a lot of times when I have advertisers in my newsletter, which by the way, anyone can check out at fortheinterested.com slash ads, I sell ads right now for $350. So a lot of times advertisers will come to me and they'll go, do you think this is going to work with your audience? And I'll tell them what I think, but obviously I can't guarantee it. Like there's a lot of variables, who knows? But one of the things I'll say to them is I'll say, well, how much is the thing that you're selling? Because I can tell you roughly how many people in my audience are going to click through and whatever. And so if on average, I think my ads get like 400 clicks. So if someone comes to me and they say, we have a $200 product 
And I say, okay, well, you're probably going to get around 400 clicks. And for a $350 investment, if two of the 400 people that go to your website buy, you've got your, you've made your money. That same conversation with someone else who's like, I sell a $10 product or I have just a free newsletter I want people to sign up for. I can say, look, here's roughly what you can expect. And then it's up to you to decide whether or not that's, that's worth it. You can ballpark it. But I think a lot of times when people go sponsorship, they get, they get intimidated or hung up on, I need this massive audience. You don't, you need a specific audience that's valuable and, a, and an advertiser who needs, wants to reach them and doesn't, probably doesn't even need that many conversions for it to be worth it. And I'll give you one more thing before we, before we move on. And by the way, you can do both of these things. You can have a product you sell to your audience and you can have sponsors and, and probably should at some point, but I would focus on, on one to start. And you can still have Patreon in the background for people who want to support you. So going back to that original question, I'll put a link in the show notes. There's a great video from Jack Conti, who's the founder of Patreon. And they did this whole research study with like all their people. And they were like, they wanted to figure out what makes Patreon memberships like go up, like what moves the needle. And they found these four things that almost every time that like there was growth in memberships, it was because of one or more of these things. So these are the four things that I'd recommend watching the video, which will be in the show notes. So one is they said they found that when people revamp their benefits or the tiers, it causes a boost. So too often people are like, here's the benefits you get from donating. Here's the different levels or whatever. They set it up and they just leave it that forever. And the person who didn't do it initially doesn't magically six months later do it. But instead, regularly revamping things and going, oh, there's a new benefit or we switched this tier or we did whatever would cause a spike because something would change. It would cause some activity that would might nudge people to do it. The second thing was they said people would roll out a special timed offer that would create urgency. So again, sort of viewing the Patreon as this sort of fluid ongoing thing. So maybe you go, oh, anyone that joins this week gets this extra thing or whatever it is. And that, that urgency always helps with sales or donations. The third one was they said people created new ways to recognize patrons. So sometimes people are donating, they just want a recognition. And so experimenting with that, maybe it's a mention in the podcast, maybe it's something in the email list, maybe you give them a free ad in your podcast, whatever it is, but experimenting with different ways to recognize people who are donating. And then the fourth one was to create a community, tap into a community. Patreon has integrations with, I think, a bunch of different platforms. So you can have message boards and you can have all that kind of stuff so that they're not just donating, they're getting access to something to other people, not just you and not just the content. So again, we'll link to that in the show notes, but those were four things that they have found help. Okay, let's get to your third question. What is the last thing you want to know? I would absolutely love to, to get some help because I'm doing that quite alone, but it's a bit difficult to find goodwills and volunteers and knowing how to delegate, what to delegate or broadcasts. So, or... I never do yeah. virtual assistance either. I don't know. Well, each penny I, I spend on something else, I can't spend to, to plant trees, which is my main goal. So it mm -hmm. shouldn't yeah, become, become excessive either. This is a complete side note, but it just popped into my head when you were talking about planting trees. You could, with each episode, create a thing almost where it's like a friendly competition between guests. So you tell the audience, like, if you love this guest, donate this week and it counts towards this, like you create almost like a scoreboard 
of which episodes generated the most tree buying. Like not even necessarily donations to the show, but like if you thought this guest was great, give $5 to buy a tree and then you can have this scoreboard. Of, it's a way for, it's almost like tipping, but they're, they're buying trees would be interesting. And then as this year goes on, you're able to go this year or this season, we collectively bought X number of trees. Just something to think about. It reminds me of like, sometimes you'll go into, I saw in a, a store, I don't know, it was like an ice cream store or whatever. And you know how they'll have like the tip jar out there, right? Well, I went into one and instead of one tip jar, they had two tip jars and they had a little note card that said, who is the better rapper, Notorious B.I.G. or Tupac? And I was like, they definitely get more tips because now people are using the tip to like cast a vote to express a thing versus just a tip jar that's like, hey, leave your tip here. And everyone else is seeing it and going, oh, that one has a lot more money than the other one. And isn't that interesting? And they're talking about it. And I'm even now here telling the story. But like, gamifying tipping or donating is an interesting tactic that you could that you could play with that had nothing to do with your question about delegating but i just thought about it and yeah, thought i would no, share it's brilliant i'm even thinking maybe even asking the guests to do this speech for yeah planting trees. yeah ex yeah exactly depending on the guests or depending on the people like if you have people that come from companies or money or whatever like maybe they match it. Like that's another thing that would be cool, right? They're like, oh, I'll match. I need to, you know, I appreciate coming on. I care about trees and whatever. Okay, so delegating. So the first thing, there's a really good book called, I'm looking to see if I have it up there. I forget who wrote it. I think Benjamin Hardy, but it's called Who Not How. And the basic premise of the book is what we all tend to do, especially as like creators and entrepreneurs and, and that kind of thing, our instinct is I need to do this. And so I need to figure out how to do it. And the premise of the book is like, you actually should not spend any time trying to figure out how to do anything. That's not like your like zone of genius or whatever, that instead of going, how do I do it? You go, who could I get to do this for me? It's a very simple concept. Like it's really interesting. And the, the concept comes from another guy whose name I'm blanking on, but the person who wrote the book is Benjamin Hardy, who is a writer who literally, like this guy was like, I want to have a book about this concept, but why should I write it? I should just get someone to write it. I have the idea and focus in it, but I don't need to actually write the book. That's one thing to think about, right? Is just to start defaulting to who, not how. But you have to, but the other, <laughs> well, so, but the other thing too is you want to identify what you can do, what your time is best spent on. And I think one way to do that with a podcast is, oh, well, with anything, but with your podcast, Start out by just listing every single step of the process. And I mean, every individual step. So let me give you an example, because I, I, as I was thinking about this to talk about it, the instinct would be to go, okay, I need to book a guest. I need to record the episode. I need to whatever. But when I say every single step, so I took book a guest and I realized that book a guest is actually at least 10 individual steps. So booking a guest where when people do this, they would most likely go, I need to book a guest. What you actually need to do is you need to find potential guests to consider. You need to choose which guests you want. You need to come up with a pitch proposal to those guests or whatever. You need to reach out to that guest by email or phone or whatever and talk, make them the offer, talk to them. You need to answer any questions that guests may have. Is this podcast video? Is it audio? Is it whatever? You need to schedule the guest. 
You need to send the guest details about the logistics and what to expect. You need to confirm or remind the guest, hey, we're recording tomorrow. Looking forward to seeing you, blah, blah, blah. You need to send the episode to the guest after recording. And you need to ask the guest to promote or give them materials to make it easy to do so. Booking a guest is 10 steps. So now imagine doing that for everything that relates to the podcast, right? That was just booking the guest. That's not counting recording. That's not counting promotion. That's not counting any of the other stuff. So the first thing I would do is I would start by listing every micro step that you can think of that relates to producing your podcast. Then go through it and go, which of these do I absolutely have to or want to do myself? Forget being able to afford getting help. That we'll deal with that later. But initially, like, what do I absolutely have to do? So like when it comes to booking guests, like I'll just go through what I just said. Like, do I have to be the one finding potential guests to consider? Probably not. Someone could send me, I could get someone to go, here's a bunch of people you might want to book. Do I have to choose the guests I'd want? Probably. That would be a me task. I don't think I'd want to outsource. They could give me a list of possibilities, but I want to choose who I want to talk to. Coming up with a pitch proposal. Do I have to do that? Maybe I have to do it once initially. Once I have a template, other people could potentially do it. Reaching out to that guest by email or phone or whatever to book them. I do do it myself. I probably don't have to. I could probably say, hey, go book on. Like, I'd like to, I'd like to do this. Answering questions that guests may have, probably someone else could do that for me because most of them are the same basic questions. Scheduling the guest. Again, I do all this stuff I actually do do myself, but you don't, you wouldn't have to. Like lots of people have other people schedule them. Sending the guest details about logistics and what to expect. That's the same thing over and over again. Other people could do it. Confirming, reminding the guest, someone else could do it. By the way, I'm not saying someone else does. I do this, but someone else could and probably should. Sending the episode to the guest after recording. I do actually have someone do that for me. Asking the guest to promote or giving them materials to make it easy to do so. Again, someone else does it for me, right? And some of those things, maybe I do it once the first time just to set it up and then someone else can do it. Going through every one of those things, identifying what do you actually have to do yourself? And then you at least wind up with a list of stuff that you potentially could delegate. Then you can look at that list of stuff that you could potentially delegate and go, how much time is this taking me? How badly do I need this? So for me, I don't really need someone to send me lists of potential guests. Like I encounter enough stuff. And in some ways I automated it in this show by letting people submit their questions. Like that's how you wound up here. By the way, if you want anyone wants to be on this show, joshspector.com slash questions. But that's the other thing in terms of delegating. It's finding someone to do it for you, but it's also creating a system that allows people, I can go open that document and see everyone that's basically applied to be on the show. I don't need someone to do it for me. So to give you an idea of, of what I do delegate right now. So Emily Benedict, who works for me, who's great. She edits the podcast. She cuts clips. She designs thumbnails for YouTube. She uploads the audio version and uploads the video version to YouTube. She emails guests when their episode goes live. Now, all of that stuff saves me a lot of time. But also within that, there are things. So for example, I could outsource to her and say, you come up with the titles and all that stuff. I do that myself. I write the titles. I write the thumbnail titles. It takes some time, but I view that as something that I want to slash should be doing. And I think that's the key. Listing all the stuff and going, well, which of these things do I really either want or need to do? And which I don't need to edit the podcast. I don't need to cut. I tell her what clips to cut though. So I do watch it and I go, I want this clip. We do three clips from each episode. So I go, I want this two minutes and this four minutes and whatever. 
but I don't need to manually edit the clips. I don't need to upload them to YouTube. Like I, for myself, I view my approaches, all of the quote unquote creative decisions are all of the logistical stuff for the most part are her. Doesn't have to be that way. Lots of people outsource all of it. Lots of people go, I show up, I record for an hour and someone else picks clips and writes titles and does all that. Yeah, that's, that's not me. But I think that's, that's, the, that's the first key. Also in the beginning, like I delegated choice and setup of recording and distribution platforms. Like we use Riverside because I was like, Emily, just figure it out. And she was like, sign up for Riverside, sign up for Transistor to, to host the thing, right? Show art. I was like, I, I want something like this, like send me a mock-up. Like I'm not a designer. I'm not going to whatever. YouTube channel banner, all that stuff. And all of it has evolved. And there are times when I'm like, oh, we need to change this or we need to change that. But understanding like, what are you really going to focus on? And just coming with the assumption that like, you can't do it all. Now, in terms of how do you pay for all this, which is the obvious question. It depends, obviously, on your own situation. Hopefully, based on what we talked about before, there starts to be some more money coming in, which can help do it. But even if you don't have any money, you can find there are people that want experience. There are people that maybe you can help them in some other way. You can trade some version of services or whatever. I've known Emily for a long time. I do pay her. Chances are, I know she has other clients that pay her more, but you know, we had a pre-existing relationship and we help each other. She learns, she's learned a lot from me as she started to go out on her own and, and all of that kind of stuff. You have experience producing a podcast. There's probably someone out there who wants to know more about producing podcasts, right? Or they want help. Or in your case, maybe they just really care about the environment and it's a way to give back. Oh, I can help this person do that. If you're not able to pay or you're not able to pay as much as maybe you think it's worth, it's thinking about what other things can you help people with. There's other ways to provide value to people and trying it out. There also might be someone you could, for example, let's say you go the sponsorship route. You could bring someone on and you could go, look, I've got this show. Here's what I want. I don't want to spend my time chasing sponsors. So you bring on a salesperson and say, I'll give you 30% of any sponsor you bring in. The sponsor can pay you. There's different things that you can do. Maybe you find someone that doesn't have a podcast, but has a newsletter about adventurers and in a similar space or an Instagram channel. And you go, hey, let's team up in some way. Let's the two of us go try to get sponsors. We'll split it. You have the Instagram reach. I have the podcast reach. We'll cross promote. Well, whatever. I can put in time doing X, Y, and Z. You can put in time doing whatever. So getting creative and understanding that like, yeah, it's hard, but there's ways to find people to help you with stuff. And the truth is like one of the things that I found with Emily, like there's no way I would have been able to grow and manage things the way I have without some help. You just can't do it. And the truth is if I didn't have her or someone like her, I don't think this podcast would exist because if I had to edit all the episodes and cut the clips and like do all this stuff, and even at the beginning, figure out how to get it all launched and all of that. I don't know that I would have done it. It's really valuable. And again, even, even if you just take really small stuff, I have someone else who's helping me with some very basic, like logistical stuff. I'm paying her $200 a month. Now she's not doing much work. She's doing, maybe it's like an hour or so a week. And that's like a very micro level, but it helps. So even if you look at it and you go, okay, I only have, I can spend whatever I can spend this tiny amount of money, but if it can take these things off the table, and even if I try it for a couple months, could be really helpful.
So I would not assume like, oh, there's nothing I can do. There probably is a way you can find someone to help and give something in exchange, even if it's not necessarily money. Brilliant. Yeah. All right. Any questions about any of that before we wrap up? You want to tell people where they can check out your podcast and help you plant trees and all that other good stuff? Yeah, sure. Normally with Storylithic, I'm quite unique. So S-T-O-R-Y, of course, N-L-I-F-I-C. On Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, a little bit. I'm a bit scattered. I'm a bit too focused on one. Yeah, exactly. Or on Facebook for some reason. So that's I, most of my time. I have storylithic.com for my website and storylithic on the platform. But it's in French, so. <laughs> yeah, ex- yeah, exactly. So spo- spoiler alert, if you want to hear a show you're, and you don't know French, you're going to have to learn French. By the way, anyone out there, if you learn French just to learn her show, please let her, please let her know. Oh, yes. I would be so surprised, but delighted. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> as far as me, my newsletter, fortheinterested.com slash subscribe. My skill sessions, joshspector.com slash sessions. Speaking of which, there's I should have mentioned this earlier. There's one in there called the Niche Definer that is all about how to clarify your niche, which certainly aligns with some of the things we talked about today. I'm on Twitter all the time, at jspector. If you would like to come on the show and ask me three questions, Go to joshspector.com slash questions to submit them. An, thank you so much for coming on. Hopefully I did not botch your name too much. Not at all. Cool. All right. Thank you. Fantastic. Thanks everyone for listening and I will see you or be in your AirPods hopefully next week. Au revoir. There you go. Au revoir.